Good morning. Welcome to the House of Worship in this new year. Uh, also, thank you all for being here, as well as those of you who are on the live stream this morning. Uh, we want to uh, have a, a, a notation of your attendance today. Uh, if you would please take the Friendship Register on the uh, inside uh, aisle, end of each uh, row, and put in your contact information. Let us know that you're here. Pass it on down so everyone can uh, can see who else they're sitting with today, and we can have a, a record of your attendance with us today. Uh, you may notice that normally we would have the choir up here uh, today, or and also the praise team. Today, out of an abundance of caution, we're not sitting up here. How many of you have come to dislike that term, abundance of caution? You know, I'm, I'm kind of over it, you know? But that's what we're doing today. So we decided uh, is, at, at this particular time, that we would not have um, uh, the choir up here uh, singing and breathing on each other this morning. And so therefore, Amy will be doing the, uh, the offertory uh, later on. You know, the, uh, the bulletin will have a number of, uh, of announcements. Uh, please uh, refer to that. Uh, notably, Sunday School will re restart January 16. And uh, Women's Council also will be installed that day. The uh, congre a congressional, a congregational meeting was, has been called for January 23 for the purpose of uh, electing officers, so please make note of that. Today we are delighted to have as our guest preacher today, Dr. David Todd. Uh, Dr. Todd uh, worked for six years early on, initially in his career as a physical therapist in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, Dr. Todd, this is a congregation that's very familiar with physical therapy. So uh, uh, we, we kind of over-index in that category. So somebody may ask you something about that later on. After he came to Christ, he eventually committed to full-time ministry. He went on to serve 24 years as uh, a PCA lead pastor and was the organizing pastor of North Macon Presbyterian Church. Dr. Todd currently serves as a field worker for Evangelism Explosion and has been on the staff of that organization for 10 years. Thank you so much for being here today. Now let us prepare our hearts for worship.
Thank you, Carlton. Thank you, Amy. It's a delight to be here. God calls us to worship this morning using Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let's pray. Magnificent, wondrous God, we come this morning to offer you our praise, our adoration, and our love. We thank you that you have such compassion on all of your children, and it is great indeed. We ask today that you would cleanse us from every sin, wash us so that we would be whiter than snow, and fill us with your spirit that we may live for you. We ask, O oh God, that each day of our lives we may glorify you as our God and our Savior. And we would tell you this morning that we offer ourselves to you once again. We offer ourselves wholly to you, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing, God of grace and God of glory.
let's join together now and reaffirm what it is that we believe by reciting together the Apostles' Creed. Please join with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Let's stand again and sing Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. Please stand.
please be seated. We will now uh, cite together the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in a, a corporate prayer. Let's cite the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our blessed Father, as the dawn now breaks on a new year, we give thanks for all that we hold dear, our family, our health, our friends, our church, our community, our nation, and above all else, we give thanks for the saving grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. The beginning of a new year has always been uh, an occasion of optimism and anticipation, and we certainly feel that this morning. But Lord, you know our hearts are also anxious, a little weary, from the toll of the pandemic has taken on our way of life and on the health of so many. Help us remember that you're leading us through this, that we should cast away those anxieties and make this a year of prayer and praise, of service to you and to each other. Particularly at this moment, we cannot forget to praise you for the many ways that you have blessed each of us. Too many to count. Please continue to bless this church. We pray for comfort and healing for all those in this church body and family members who are hurting physically, emotionally, spiritually. We offer this prayer in your holy name. Amen.
Let me take a moment to uh, have a commercial for the ministry for which I work, Evangelism Explosion. Back in the mid-1950s, if there was such an era, there was a young man who couldn't possibly have been farther from the Lord, who was Jim Kennedy. And he came in late one Saturday night, but it was Sunday morning. He set his alarm clock for 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon. That seemed to be a reasonable time to, to rise. But what had been music the night before was a sermon by a reformed pastor from Philadelphia, Donald Gray Barnhouse. And Jim Kennedy was awakened by the line that from Barnhouse that said, young man, what right do you have to enter God's heaven? And he was awakened. And in that presentation over the radio, Barnhouse had a title, his diagnostic questions, and he had two diagnostic questions. And years later, after Jim Kennedy was a, a new pastor, welcoming uh, a group of 45 in Fort Lauderdale that he was so effective in his early months that the 45 soon was 17. So that was a time of crisis for him and tears. Is there a God? Have you called me to the ministry? And he went to, uh, he was invited to spend a week in Atlanta and preach with um, a friend of his who had met, he had met when he was in seminary in Atlanta. And in those days, he learned personal evangelism. And in those 10 days, they saw 54 people from all strata of Atlanta culture come to faith in Christ. So he goes back to Fort Lauderdale, but he has this great problem. It worked in Atlanta, but could God work in Fort Lauderdale? Well, he did. And the church went from 45 to 17 to 10,000. And for many decades, there would be some 400 new members a, a year and 300 would be adult professions of faith. So one of those years, I was one of those new believers as an adult profession. So in 1961, he put together a five-sentence outline of the gospel. So he took those two diagnostic questions. The first asks if you've come to the place where you know for certain that if you were to die today, that you would go to heaven. So it's possible to know. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, these things are written so that you may know that you have eternal life. The second question, will force people to point to their savior, which is David or Jesus, Carlton or Jesus, Amy or Jesus. So the question is this. You know, we all run out of time on planet Earth. We know that. And the time will come when we'll stand before God. And if he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? So people will point to the Lord, as most of you would. Or they will say, well, I have done this and I have not done that. They'll have two or three sentences that begin with the word I. And so if they're still trusting I, trusting self, then we go into a five-sentence outline with scripture and some illustrations, and that's all it is. So here are the sentences. These are five uh, summary statements of what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that heaven is a free gift. It's not earned or deserved. Unbelievers don't know that. They think it's earned by them. 
Secondly, man is a sinner, and we define sin as, according to Jesus, it's thought, words, and deeds, everything I do that's less than perfect. What I omit that I ought to do is sin also. So David's sins aren't few. They're in the tens of millions, as I would suspect yours are too. Well, what will God do with sin? Well, the Bible teaches that God is loving and merciful, doesn't want to punish us. The same Bible teaches that God is holy and just and righteous and must punish sin. And I've just confessed to my 70 million, what's going to happen to me? So there must be some entirely different way, and that's Christ. So we tell people who Christ is. He's both God and man. We tell them what he's done. He died on the cross and rose from the dead. What did that accomplish? It was to pay the penalty for sin and to purchase a place in heaven for us. And how do I connect with what he's done? And how do I connect with the significance of what he's done? It's by faith. So faith is more than just knowing that Jesus lived. Faith is more than just trusting God for a drive on a rainy day. Uh, more than trusting God for, for my health and, and so forth, for my finances, for travel. True saving faith is trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. So that was in 1961. So EE is uh, 60 years old. It's in 211 countries. Well, what has God done with this simple outline of, of two questions and five sentences, scripture and illustrations? What's the number? Well past 100 million. There's nothing that God has used to that extent. So I left some of my blue bookmarks on one of the tables in, in the back. It's easy to learn, hard to forget. We teach the, the five-sentence outline on your hand, and I found that most people take their hand everywhere they go. Rush, you probably do too. Well, let me read a wonderful passage of, of Scripture to begin, and then we'll see what's really so amazing about grace. I remember as a new believer being astonished when I saw Ephesians 1.4 that says that Christ chose us to be his before the foundation of the world. It's quite a surprise for a new believer. So the first chapter of, Philippians, uh, of Ephesians rather is wonderful and we have our attention on the second chapter. So Paul writes this to that church years ago. As for you, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and, and thoughts like the rest. We were by our very nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace 
you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, all of the ages of eternity, he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this scripture. We pray that you would illumine our minds and open our ears that we might have the ability to consume what you have for us in your scripture today. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the title is, What's So Amazing About Grace? You know, there wasn't nearly the, uh, the weather this morning that I anticipated, so I arrived at your church building at the crack of 913. So there was one car, that, perhaps that was you, Amy. And so where do you go when you've got time and you're at the, out at the lake? Why well, you go to the, to the Publix store and um, you can prepare the, the sermon and you can pray and you can watch people. And they're very successful. Why, well, there was a, a Tesla that parked right in front of me. There was a, uh, the, the four-door Porsche sedan. There were all sorts of people who have been enormously successful in this life. But this life all comes to the end. We all run out of time. So what's then? Well, that's when we need to know about the grace of God. So if you ask yourself, well, what's so amazing about grace? then first I would say that's a question that only someone who is a stranger to grace would ask. Because we talk about grace and we we sing about grace. We know who wrote that song um, of of amazing grace. We don't know much about him. We know that he was in the slave trade, captain of a slave ship, and he was thrown off board in a storm And the only way that someone in the crew could reach him was with the harpoon, which dinged him substantially on one of his legs. And so as we sing this song by John Newton, a poem that that he wrote, then we are familiar with four verses or five verses. But I looked at Dr. Google, and he said there are 13 verses. And it tells a great story from John Newton of what his experience with Christ had been. So let me read these to you. The the first is what you're the most familiar with. So he wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. So here's his comment on his past. In evil... Long I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, until a new object met my sight and stopped my wild career. 
what could possibly stop him. I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood who fixed his eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Surely, never until my final breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death as though he not a word spoke. My conscience owned and felt the guilt and it plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood has shed and helped to nail him there. Alas, I knew not what I did, but all my tears were vain. Where could my trembling soul be hid? For I, the Lord, had slain. A second look he gave which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for your ransom paid. I did it so that you may live. It was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. It is grace that brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me, his word my home secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yes, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth will soon dissolve like snow. The sun will no longer shine, but God who called me here below shall be forever mine. And finally, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. I'd love those verses, especially that we're not familiar with, of his comments about himself as an unsaved man. Well, Newton became a minister and he preached until he was into his uh, mid to late 80s. And in his later years, and maybe I need to do this, uh, Carlton, he would have a large person stand behind him when he was in the pulpit, just in case. And one of his comments as an older man, he said this, you know, there's many things that I've forgotten as I've gotten old, but there's two things that I remember very well. I remember what a great sinner I am, and I remember what a great savior Jesus is. And so it is. So here is amazing grace. There's a great lack of understanding about what grace is. If I jumped out of my car, because it wasn't raining, at the Publix and asked uh, some of those people that were going in or out of the public store, what is grace? What? What is grace? I have no idea. I've got to get home. Or I've got to get into the store. So the great majority of the people around you in the lake community have no idea what grace is. They're not saved by grace because they have no idea what grace is. 
The Bible says we're saved by grace, so it's obviously an important issue in our own minds to, to get straight. I've never had one person, not speaking of the public's parking lot, I've never had one person over my many years that I've asked what grace is who knew it except those who are in the church. I'm sure that you all are very familiar with grace. Saving grace. Well, let me list a handful of things that are so amazing about grace. Well, grace means God's favor, we're told. But here's the definition of grace I want you to grasp. Grace is an attitude in the mind of God that causes him to act favorably to enemies, to wretches, to sinners. Grace is an attitude in the mind of God that causes him to act favorably to his enemies, to the sinners, to people who are, as John Newton described himself, a wretch. You never see grace in this world except as an overflow of the grace that God has poured into a person. Well, why is it so amazing? Here's the first reason. It is so rare. This world doesn't operate on the, in the realm of grace. The world operates on equity. Very often it's not equity, but it's inequity. It's a quid pro quo. It's a tit for that. You give this and you get that in return, whether it's a loaf of bread or a vehicle. And that's the basic operative system of this world. And it's the antithesis of grace. We don't see grace. And most people have no idea what it is. Well, I know uh, a friend out by the lake here who's in insurance, and he might raise his hand, but David, we offer a grace period. I said, no, you don't. You're just trying to hang on to your customers. By if they're a little tardy, you want to make them be able to pick up a few payments. Well, God doesn't offer us a few payments if we're behind. He offers us eternity. And there's no payments to pick up. There's nothing like grace in all this world. It's so rare. And secondly, it's amazing because it's so undeserved. That's what grace is. It's so undeserved. Sometimes it's design, uh, defined as uh, our undeserved favor. But I would say that that's mercy and not grace. So I made up a wild story to illustrate what grace is. So if in Macon, Georgia, if you're going downtown, then you go often on the, on the interstate and you exit I-16 at the Spring Street Bridge. And always at the Spring Street Bridge, there's any number of people that are, that are holding up their information that, that uh, talks about they, they need your money and, and they'll work or they'll do anything you ask. Well, let's say, for example, that uh, just at, uh, I'm, I'm caught according to the light, I'm caught and I'm, this guy is right here outside my front window. Holds up the sign. Okay, so I start fishing around and, and oh no, the only thing I can find is a 20. 
Well, to solve my conscience, I, I gave him the $20 bill. And I drive off. What has he done for the $20 bill? Nothing. But a, a disaster, according to this story, happened that week. And someone broke into my house, shot my wife, and burned my house down. But there was enough on my cameras to see who it was. There had been no arrest made. But look, that's that guy at the Spring Street Bridge. Look what he's done to me. Well, if I ever see him, it won't be a $20 bill. So again, I'm exiting I-16, the Spring Street Bridge, and there he is. And I've got something for him. It's not $20. It's $20 million. That's grace. What has he done? Terrible things, corrupt sins, an enemy of God, an object of God's wrath. But what is grace? An attitude in the mind of God that causes him to act favorably to his enemies. You know, it's amazing how many people think that they can be neutral toward God. I know several of those people. And they say, well, I'm not for him, but I'm really not against him. I'm not like so-and-so. They're really against him. But there's no neutrality. There's no fence. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. If David said you're for Christ or against him, well, maybe not. When he says that, you're either for him or you're against him. There's no fence. So he gives his grace to people who are opposed to him. And I was surely one of those when I was in my mid 20s in Fort Lauderdale, my prayer life, of course, an unsaved man with a prayer life, yes. My prayer was to tell God that I had plans for my life and it didn't include him. Jesus said he came to seek and to save. And though I wanted to blow him off and have nothing to do with my creator, he sought me and he got me. There's a great poem that's one of the greatest poems in the, 20, in the uh, English language called The Hound of Heaven, written by a, a penniless man at that time, Francis Thompson. And it's in a very old English, so if you look on your phone at The Hound of Heaven, it's hard to grasp what it is, but it's about a man who flees God. And God has this steady, unperturbed pace he pursues, he pursues. And adversity after adversity comes to this man. It's like there's a dark cloud, not just on the rainy day, but every day over his head. And then he finds grace. And he finds what he always thought of as the dark cloud was a shadow of the hand of God reaching out to him. Grace. Grace to people that are opposed even to the God. Some people say, well, well, David, you know what they say about God. God helps those who help themselves. Does he? 
Yes, yes, here's what you need to do. David, it's what you do that counts. And so if you live a decent life when it's convenient and you keep your nose clean and you come to your final day, then when you have your time before God, he'll be glad to, to chip in whatever you're short. There's no way. God helps the helpless. There's nothing you could do to prepare yourself for grace. He pours out his grace to the most unworthy of people. To the least, God gives his grace. It's totally, completely undeserved. Well, maybe there's something that I can bring to the table. But I mentioned Ephesians 1.4, how God chose us. He chose the church to be his before the foundation of the world. You know, frankly, I don't think I brought much to the table before the foundation of the world. So we don't bring anything to the table except our own sin and our own debauchery. There are no A students. The problem with every person is that we're infected with something terrible. So here's a, a short quote uh, that one minister wrote about what this issue is. And he said, the cause of all trouble, the root of all sorrow, the dread of every man lies in one small word, sin. All mental disorders, all sickness, all destruction, all wars find their root in sin. It causes madness in the brain, poison in the heart. It's a tornado on the loose. It's a volcano gone wild. It's a madman broken loose from the asylum. It's a criminal on the on the prowl. It's a roaring lion seeking to destroy its prey. It's a streak of lightning coming to the earth. It's a guillotine falling. It's a deadly cancer eating away the very souls of men. It's a raging torrent that sweeps everything before it. It's sin, said Billy Graham. And I think that's a good description. We all have that in our hearts. The, the dragon of the old man is dead. But one of my friends said the tail still swishes. So we all have that. And God won't have any of that in heaven. He threw it out once. And he certainly won't tolerate it again. It's only through the blood of Christ that we receive grace and can be made fit for heaven. So grace is rare, it's undeserved, it's never, it's thirdly, it's never sought. The Bible says that no one on his own ever seeks God. Here's the quote, there is none that seek after God. No, not one. I know I certainly didn't. It's grace that begins to work in us and then finally, what we despised, now we say, you know, I need to be saved. And I find out that over a period of time, God changes my wanter. The first time I heard somebody use that word, I said, that's not a word. So I looked up one of those, remember, dictionaries? I looked up wanter. He changed my wanter. That's an exact way that that word can be used. We don't seek God. Grace and the power of God seeks us. 
One person said, I sought the Lord and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him seeking me. Was not I that found my savior true? No, I was found by you. It's not sought, it can't be bought. It was paid for by Jesus Christ. It's rare, it's undeserved, it's not sought, and fourth, grace is amazing because it's incredibly powerful. There's something, there, there is nothing rather, there is nothing in the realm of human life like grace and the transforming power of grace. Whatever the addiction that someone has, whether it's the shackles of of alcohol or addiction of every sort, every type of sin can give way to the power of God's grace. It sets men free. The vile, the profane, the vulgar all become clean. It's the most powerful force in the world. And fifth and finally, grace is amazing because it's so expensive. It's rare, it's undeserved, it's never thought, sought. It's incredibly powerful and it is so expensive. That's one of the reasons why grace is amazing. You know, when I come to the lake, I see many impressive things. You see the $10 million house on the lake You see the $10 million yacht. You see the beautiful Ritz-Carlton. There's the $70 million private jet airplane. But grace is far more expensive than that because it was purchased by the blood of the Son of God, the creator of the world has purchased grace. He died just as Newton said in agony so that you might live forever in heaven with him. So why is grace amazing? It's so expensive. It's never sought. It's so powerfully transforming. It's undeserved and it's rare. So how do you prepare for grace? You don't. Charlotte Elliott, in a previous generation, was a fascinating young lady. She was from a wonderful family that lived in London. She had an incomparable singing voice. And you know, every person in her family for generations, and to the extended family, they were all Christians. But Charlotte wasn't. And she had a visitor in her home on one occasion that challenged her about that. And she was offended that somebody would say that she wasn't one who had received grace, but she knew it was true. And so she asked this person who had offended her and had since apologized, said, I don't know what to do. How do, how do I come to Christ? People have told me I need to pray more, I need to read my Bible, but I I don't see the answer to that. How do I come to Christ? What must I do? And here is the answer. You don't have to do anything. 
You just ask him to forgive your sins and come to you just the way you are. There's no shower or bath you take to prepare for grace. It's just, it's just you, just the way you are. So she went to her bed, bedroom that night, and in the midst of many tears, she asked and received the free gift of eternal life. And as the night went on, she was so fired up she couldn't sleep. And she wrote a poem in the wee small hours of the night. Just as I am, without one plea, except your blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a fear and many a doubt, I come, I come. The amazing, wondrous grace of God. So the question isn't what's so amazing about grace. The only question on the table is this. Have you experienced this grace? Or does the year 2022 begin with you still a stranger to the grace of God? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that your mighty grace would draw some to you today. The crowd of people walking in and out of the public store at 10 o'clock on the Sunday morning. Maybe someone here. I pray that their eyes, as mine were so many years ago, will be open, that they may see and they may say, oh God, I didn't see, I didn't understand, I didn't know that you have done all of this for me. Oh God, change hearts. Knowing that very soon this life will be passed. And we will stand before the great judge of the universe. Help us not to be there graceless. For then... There will be no hope whatsoever. In your name, amen. Please stand and let's sing together. Grace greater than our sin.
Receive the benediction of God. And now unto him who loved you and who loosed you from your sins in his own precious blood and has made you to become a kingdom of priests before God and his Father. To him be glory and majesty, dominion and praise both now and forever. Amen. Amen. 